Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. It's all presented by Coors Light. He is Paul Dottino. I am John Schmelk. We want to remind you to download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prize. It's a busy show today. We'll take your phone calls as always. Hashtag Giants chat. We'll hit up the request line as we continue to break down some individual prospects in the draft. Later on in the show at around 12.35 or 12.40, we'll have Gordy Rush, LSU sideline reporter, former LSU defensive back to get the lowdown on Devin White, Greedy Williams, and the other prospects coming out of LSU. But we'll start with a different team down south, and that's Ole Miss. And joining us to discuss the prospects coming from there is former All-American defensive back and radio analyst Harry Harrison. Harry, you got John Schmoke and Paul Dottino up here in East Rutherford, New Jersey, inside the Giants practice facility. How are you today? We're doing good, man. It's finally turned spring down here. 80 degrees <laughs> and sunshine, so I'm excited. It's funny. I, I was talking to somebody on the phone today who lives out in Colorado, and they had a delayed opening at school because of snow. Up here, it was 38 degrees, and I walked this dog this morning. So if you can send some of that weather up north, Harry, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> we haven't had much yet, but uh, it's coming, hopefully, and, and soon. But uh, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, so what, do, so what do the Giants need this year? Do they send you some wide receivers? I mean, I think some offensive linemen. What you need? Well, you know what? Why don't we start the offensive line? Because the Giants are trying to find a right tackle, and I know the Ella and I know Ole Miss might have somebody that could interest the Giants, maybe either at the end of round one or in round two. Indeed. Yeah, obviously Greg Little is a guy that was invited to junior, uh, invited to the combine. I think tested very well. Mm-hmm. He's played, started all three years at the left tackle spot for Ole Miss, and the young man out of Allen, Texas, which is a big, big high school uh, uh, out in Texas that really values football. So he's had a good, uh, a good start, and then Ole Miss took him to the next level. Maybe you guys can take him, but he can play both ways, no doubt. He can play left or right, six six for about three twenty. Uh, obviously a good pass blocker, and that's exactly what you guys may need. Harry, let me ask you this. We were at the Combine for three days in Indianapolis a couple of months ago, and there seemed to be a variance of opinion on him. There were those who thought, you know what, he could go, I don't know, mid-first round, and that would be really great for a bunch of teams. And then others said, ah, you know what, his better value fit is probably somewhere early in the second round. Why do you suppose there is such a wide range of opinion on his value. What What is it that some people really like and some people are scratching their heads over? Well, that's a great question. The guy, uh, obviously, is 6'6", six, six, is, a, is a prototypical tackle. He bends well. You know, possibly the fact that Ole Miss threw the ball so many times versus running it, uh, bogged down in, you know, with our, our, our coordinator we had for two years, and by the way, he's not here anymore, but... Uh, we seem to bog down in the uh, red zone. Didn't you know? Didn't run it very well. And I think some of the slap on Greg is probably the fact that he wasn't a terrific run blocker. We, he just wasn't asked to block. I mean, our, our offense was kind of a smoke and mirrors. He had three steps, and we're going to turn it loose. So I, I don't know if that's a slap on him. But uh, with 32 teams going from the East Coast to the West Coast. Who knows what all you guys are thinking? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this, Harry. Uh, we always talk about how a guy has a certain skill set in college, and then the scouts need to project him to the NFL. We would like, what we would like you to identify for us. Do you think he's got the skill set to do it? And you the may, traits, right? You, you may not be able to project it. That's what these scouts are paid to do. But does he have the skill set in your mind to be a good run blocker in the NFL? 
I think so. I mean, let's, let's start first. Let's talk. He, he's a football savvy guy. He's a very smart kid. He's a yes or no sir type kid. Obviously, whoever's going to coach him is going to get a great person there to take him to whatever level he's capable of doing. But yes, he bends well. Uh, you know, we, we just our guys stood, you know, stayed in a three point stance, never got down in a four point stance. So, you know, that's probably a slap on the guy. But yes, is he capable of going to the next level? Uh, in the NFL, I don't think there's any doubt about that. We had a guy here a few years ago named Laramie Tunsil. Everybody tries to compare <laughs> offensive linemen to Laramie Tunsil. Guess what? There are not many Laramie Tunsils out there in the world, but this guy's maybe one, a half a step behind. And as long as Greg Little doesn't show up with a gas mask on draft day, I think everyone will be happy about <laughs> oh, that. Oh, no. <laughs> well, you know, and we were, all, we were all freshmen in college. One yeah, absolutely. I was back in the 70s and did some stupid things. So <laughs> you guys didn't be lying to me. Absolutely. No question about it. One other question um, about Greg for me, Harry. How did he perform against some of the top SEC pass rushers? Obviously, he's facing the best competition in the whole country being down there in the SEC. How did he perform against, you know, uh, the, the Josh Allens and the other really good pass rushers coming out of that conference? That, that's a stat you can honestly look up. But I think in three years, he gave up less than 10 sacks in all three years. And one of those years was his freshman year. So he's a phenomenal pass blocker. Uh, and you're right. We, every, every week, we've got uh, – a first or second round pass rusher in the SEC, so it, it it never it never lets up. We did get to step out of the conference occasionally, but there's he's had some great competition to play against. Well, it does sound like from everything you've said, he's going to make somebody happy no matter where they they pick him, Harry. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of our introduction wide receivers, and my goodness, it looks like Ole Miss is probably going to send three to the National Football League, and DK DK Metcalf. Uh, it's just stole a bunch of headlines at the Combine. Why don't you tell us something about him that we can't see? Because what we see is a very impressive physical specimen. Well, once again, uh, he's a local Oxford, Mississippi kid. Great, great uh, young man. Yes, sir, no, sir type kid. His dad played for Ole Miss, was uh, Terrence Metcalf, was his father, was an all, was, uh, uh, All-American here at Ole Miss. Play with the Bears for quite a number of years, so it comes from a great bloodline. Uh, you know, you've seen all the all the in, all the tangibles. You know how fast he can run, how tall he is, but uh, he just got one of those uh, great athletic uh, minds, and he's and he's very very athletic. Was a basketball player. Even in high school, he played some cornerback when they matched up with. Uh, in fact, he and AJ Brown, their high schools played against each other, and they would put each of them got to play corner trying to cover the other. So, <laughs> very athletic, yeah. You, you're going to get a guy that'll catch you and take it to the distance. And, and I, you know, I was in the NFL briefly, but I would hate to see the guy coming across the middle at 228, I'll promise you. Yeah, it's funny. Watching him on, watching a, a lot of your games on tape, as I was trying to get a feel for the two wide receivers, you know, you mentioned not wanting to meet him going over the middle, right? I feel like they didn't send him over the middle a lot. There was just so many, like, verticals and stops and comebacks, Harry. I wonder about the versatility of his route tree and how many different routes he ran in college and how good of a pure route runner he is, or was he winning mostly just with his raw physical ability? You know, he uh, uh, he, he was the weak side outside receiver on several of our different formations, and he would run slants. Right, so, that too. Yeah, we go we go read option. We were, we were an RPO offense, obviously. We go read option to the strong side and come back with a slant. So uh, he he went through the middle quite often, and uh, you just have to find the right take. But yes, did he beat a bunch of guys deep? Yes, he did that physically. He can out physical uh, a DB that's six foot six one, 
you don't get many corners over six one. So nope. he was a physical mismatch there. But uh, yeah, he caught he caught several slants on that weak side coming back through the middle. And uh, I'm just telling you, he'll be a load to bring down. He'll he'll he'll, he'll be good. He'll be a good receiver of someone, and obviously the Giants could use one. No, you're right. And by the way, he, he did run a lot of slants. You're absolutely right about that on that read option play. You're right. They listed him at the combine at 6'3", 228. Harry, what do you think he's going to play at in, in the NFL? He could play at 228. I mean, he, yeah. <laughs> I asked him the other day. I saw him at spring practice. I said, man, how did you get to 27 reps? He said, well, you know, I got injured a little bit early last year, so I was able to work on that. But... <laughs> <laughs> you know, run a four-three-three. He'll play at two twenty-five. You know, he's got. He's, I want to say it's less than one percent, but I'm going to call it one percent body fat. <laughs> yeah. So what are you going to What are you going to lose in practice? <laughs> You're absolutely right. I'll... I mean, think about it. He's got. He doesn't have a lot to lose. I mean, one percent body fat. So he's going to play at two twenty-five. Easy, no doubt. Last last one on DK. Very quickly, and you mentioned it. His injury history. Do you get the feel that those are kind of just one-off injuries, or is that a type of pattern or history that you think some NFL teams might get worried about? No, I mean, obviously, these guys will do their homework because they're investing big money of course. in these guys. But uh, as, as a freshman, true freshman, went up in the end zone about the second game, came down, uh, you know, a bad fall on his foot, cracked a bone in his foot, okay, was out the rest of that year, took a red shirt. And then last year, uh, in, a, in an old stadium in Little Rock against the, against the University of Arkansas, old turf, wet night, everything cold. It was hard, and he came, it went went long and came down on, his, on the back of his neck and head and cracked. Whatever, I, I don't even know what the. Man. But it required a little minor surgery and went, you know, obviously his neck, but uh, uh, didn't miss the rest of the season. But I, I don't think he's injury prone. I mean, a guy that looks like him, uh, you know. He, he looks like Tarzan, and he plays like Tarzan. He's that good. <laughs> <laughs> play like Jane, like but this guy plays like Tarzan. Yeah, he does. So You're absolutely right. A.J. Yeah. Brown's not too shabby either, Harry. What, what do you like about him as he enters the NFL? A little different guy. You know, six foot, about 220, 222. Played in the slot for us. Not a, not a burner, but a guy, once you got the ball in his hand, that made so many people miss. It just got a you know great quick start. Good cut step, uh, ran ran routes in, in uh, you know short routes to go long, but he wasn't asked to do that so much in our offense. But he's the guy that probably play in a slot receiver. I don't, I mean, he, he played outside a lot, but I like him better in the slot. I like getting the ball quickly in his hands and letting him operate against defensive backs. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. And the first, I think, seven or eight games with with DK outside, he did play almost primarily in the slot. But then when DK went out end of the year. He went out and, and played DK spot, and frankly, I think his numbers got better. So what do you think it is about his skill set, Harry, that allows him to play both slot and outside and be equally effective in, in, in both spots? I, I think a great route runner. I think a guy that's just got terrific hands and, and runs good route. Comes out of his touch very quickly. Uh, he's, he's very quick at six foot and 220-something. Uh, and so he could, as I said, he, I think he ran four or five, eight or four, six or something at the combine. I don't remember exactly. You guys probably got those numbers. Yeah, I got it right here. So four, not, four, 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 nine. in the NFL, but, but it's fast enough. You know, Jerry Rice ran about the same, same speed and nobody ever caught him. <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, another Mississippi kid, but, uh, this, this guy runs really precise right, precise routes in, in, in his really forte is once he gets the ball in his hand, it really becomes a running back. He'll make a lot of guys miss. Yeah, he will. He'll run away from a lot of guys. 
Demarcus Lodge is the other guy who some folks are, are kind of high on and, and think he's got a real shot at making the league. A little bit different than, uh, than who we just talked about because you're talking about a 6'2 fella who's over 200 pounds, but he's not quite as stacked or built as Metcalf is. Now, another Texas kid came a great program out around the Dallas area, but not physically. I mean, yes, you're right, 6'2", probably the fastest. Uh, you know, of course, that night DK shows up with a 4-3-3, but, but Demarcus Lodge is a faster guy, I want to say in the 4-4s four or four, you know, low 4-5s uh, compared to A.J., but fast enough to get away. He ran a lot of, uh, you know, go routes, a lot, a lot of uh, fades in our system. But good hands. I mean, those three guys, uh, you, you, you just pick your poison. You want to double one of them, well, the other two guys will beat you that day. But uh, he's an excellent player. Uh, as I mentioned, came from you know, somewhere out in Texas, in the Dallas area. Uh, Cedar Hill, I think, was the program. So a lot of those guys grew up playing football in Texas. They have a great background. And, of course, he got better here. He, he was a four-year guy. Played a little bit as a friend. They asked him to redshirt. Didn't want to. I think he caught five balls in the whole freshman season. So, didn't get a lot of action that year, but after that, just got better and better. So he's a four-year guy. Where these other guys are are, came, come, are coming out as juniors. So you can get a more seasoned guy. And let me tell you, all three of these guys in our system had to block. I mean, we ran a lot of uh, slip screens, a lot of things that we we're running back. Those guys were required to block, and if you couldn't block in our system, uh, you couldn't play. And I'll promise you, you'll get the same uh, results once they get in the NFL. Well, how about Dawson Knox? A tight end, you obviously need to block. He's a guy that didn't put up big numbers in at Ole Miss in a very crowded tight end class. I feel like he's been overlooked a lot. Why should teams be excited about Dawson Knox, despite the fact maybe his production at Ole Miss wasn't where you would want it to be? You know, and that wasn't his fault. He was, he was targeted 19 times the whole season. Now, we played oh, wow. 12 games. He was targeted 19 times. 6'5", 250-pound kid, played quarterback at his high school up in Nashville, Brentwood Academy, which has put a lot of folks in the league through the years. But uh, came in as a walk-on, earned a scholarship, you know, became a, a tight end. Uh, you know, it wasn't his fault we didn't target him. And, and I, I asked some, some scouts during the season, you know, some of them were just raving about him and some of them really weren't sure. I, I think it depends on the team, what they need. You've got a good tight end so far out of Ole Miss up there. If you need him, though, well, this kid can obviously play. A little different, obviously, than Evan in that he doesn't really, he's not that fast, but he's fast enough at 250, and he'll put his hand on the ground. He'll be a good uh, guy. He'll go line or, 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 or run type situations. You know, the other guy who I had on the list here, uh, Harry, not necessarily a, a guy who's going to crack a starting lineup anywhere, but Kendarius Webster is an interesting prospect for me because. You know, he, he's, he looks like he's got some tools, but I don't necessarily know if he's gotten the most out of, out of, out of his, uh, his toolbox. First two years, just played excellent. Got hurt in his junior year. We played Florida State down in the preseason opening game, and he came down in the first quarter and just shattered his knee. And I forget which one, but I won't say his right knee. And just took, another, took the rest of that year and, and all to come back. And, of course, then his, his next year, was just semi-productive. And in this past year, just had a nagging hamstring injury that just kind of hung in there with him. Uh, and so I, I don't think you've seen the last – if you look at the last two years of tape on Ken, you have not seen a, a really healthy guy. But, you know, if you look at him, he can run. Obviously, he's very physical, really good tackler. And, and, and so I think, you, I think you, of course, we, we had the fastest guy in the confine playing safety. <laughs> 
which uh, nobody saw that coming. But uh, <laughs> four two nine, that's not shabby. But uh, both both those kids tackle well. Ken Webster was a good corner. That's what he'll play. That or the nickel in, in, in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But back to Dawson Knox, just for a minute. He's probably had of all the the four receivers we discussed. He probably has the best hands of all four of them. You. You mentioned Woods there in your last answer. Can he play that single high safety stuff? Does he have the range and the instincts to play that center field? Because the Giants have Jabril Peppers, so you can move all over the place, close to the line of scrimmage, but they need a young guy that can play deep. Could he fit that role? I think he can. I, I think, you know, uh, I, we play a lot of two high safeties, mm. but yes, can, can he run? Yeah, we know he can run. I, I think because he's such a good tackler, uh, he could play both. But I think I think you could plug him in. Now, would he be a first day starter? You know, I don't know the answer to that. But uh, I would say he's probably a four to seven round pick somewhere in that uh, range. But yes, he could play for somebody. Final one for me, Harry, isn't about the young prospects coming into the NFL, but it's about a guy who's been around these parts for a long time. I know when we talked earlier in the week, you you had some nice comments to make about Eli Manning. Uh, let, let me just go back and turn the time machine back to his rookie season in 2014. Could you have possibly anticipated as much as you knew about him? 2004. Would, 2004. Did I say 14? You said 14. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> two, two, 2004. Well, I was going to correct you, but you knew what you were talking about. Yeah, well, it's a long time now. You know, I'm a little senile at this point in my career, too. Well, I'm not uh, arguing with that. <laughs> but, Harry, did, did, could you ever have imagined this type of two-time Super Bowl MVP Hall of Fame career out of him? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I was a freshman Archie Manning senior year at Ole Miss. Didn't get to play with him here, but uh, briefly down with the Saints. Obviously, I played the opposite side of the ball. But, I mean, when you talk about a quarterback family, I don't have to go into that. You guys can talk about the, that in nauseam. But, yes, uh, you know, it was pretty quiet in college. It, uh, didn't say a lot. Uh, had an apartment uptown square, you know, which is a big, big spot here in Oxford where things are really happening. Was uh, was always uh, – Yes, sir, and no, sir, came up in David Cutler's system, and obviously David coached uh, Peyton up in Tennessee. So we had some good receivers, too, when he was playing. But, yes, I, I could see that, absolutely. Just just great football IQ, threw the ball well. I mean, the one knock on him at, the, at that point in time was, you know, he didn't run away from, from traffic very well. He's not a burner, as we all know. But that's not what you were required, uh, you know, 16 years ago. Uh, Today, people want to like the guys who can get away, you know, make, make plays with, with their legs or while they're running. That's not Eli. But uh, if you guys will get some offensive linemen, get him some help, uh, you know, I think she's got another couple years for you. <laughs> You'll be happy to know, Harry, he hasn't changed a bit. He's the same guy. <laughs> yep, that's what you got. And you know what? Think about what quarterbacks have come through in the last 10 or 15 years that can handle all the pressure of the New York media. Some of it positive, a lot of it negative, based on you know what happens on Sunday. And there's not many guys that could withstood that through the years. He's obviously one that could. Two Super Bowls, two MVPs. Uh, I mean, you know, good luck in the next ten years getting that done. Yeah, I hear you, Harry. Good stuff. We appreciate the time. Enjoy spring football. And we'll talk to you again next year as we break down the many players that always populate NFL rosters from Ole Miss. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, Harry. Thank you. Enjoy it, guys. Have a good day. Harry Harrison covers Ole Miss, does a fantastic job. You know, what I really love about the guys who've been around these programs for a long time, they've seen it all. You know, they, they know the good, they know the bad, they know the questions, they know the, the, the things that, that will translate and not translate. 
the wealth of knowledge and experience is just uh, unsurpassed. And so it's always great to get these, these longtime college announcers on because they, they really know their stuff. I mean, like the back of their hands. Yeah, and, and he calls the games and, and does a great job down there. So we appreciate him joining us. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the offseason. Uh, we're going to have our next guest in around 15 minutes or so. So between now and then, let's do your phone calls at 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants chat. Travis in Queens will lead us off today. Hello, Travis on line number two. How are you, buddy? What's up, fellas? How you guys doing? Hi. We're good, Travis. How are you, man? All right. I just got a quick scenario, all right? Sure. Let Bring me, it on. All right. Would you guys prefer our scenario right now, 6-17, and 17, no quarterback, Saquon Barkley, or would you prefer we last year take uh, a Sam Darnold with Odell Beckham on the team this year with the sixth pick? That's all I've got. Take care, guys. Okay. I would feel much more secure about the team's future if they had the quarterback on the roster. As good as Barkley is, I feel much more secure about the ultimate future of the franchise if you have the other quarterback on the roster. I believe in Donald more than Paul does, so that's probably why I think that way. Exactly. And I'm going the other way, so it's okay. That's fine. Yep. I don't know why. I don't see why you would. Beckham would have to be involved in that, though. Just because I have Donald doesn't mean I need Beckham. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't detaching them. He was attaching them well, together. I don't think you have to, though. No, but for his scenario, you have to. That's his scenario, you know, but, so you have to answer his question. But my point, though, is that I would remove Beckham completely, and whether he's here or not, I would always rather have the guy that I think is going to be the next franchise quarterback. And maybe he's not going to be, but I think he will be. So that's it. Okay. 201-939-4513. got to give John, i got to give people some credit. We haven't had a lot of rehashing of last year. And that decision over the past month. Let's not start it now. But I'm happy we haven't had a lot of rehashing of you that decision had to on the say show. Something. I know. I'm sorry. Well, it, was, uh, it was Travis's fault. Blame him. Let, uh, let's go to Jose in Orlando. He's up next. Jose, what's going on, buddy? Hey, John and Paul. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, thanks Hi. for calling in. I, I called yesterday, but uh, I know you guys got an LSU guy, and I'm really curious to see what he has to say about Devin White. Paul, I called yesterday. Lance cut me off, and I didn't have much of a chance. But I'll, I'll make this really quick, yeah, go ahead. and uh, I'll, I'll take it off the air. Uh, basically, one quick thing I want to say, I really do hope we go defense with 6-17. Mm-hmm. I don't see a quarterback going. I mean, it's people are screaming about quarterback all this time, and I really think you need a defense because they need a one closeout game that we couldn't do yesterday. Another thing that people aren't talking about is if you have a really good defense, you can flip the field all the time and give your offense better opportunity to score. So that's just one thing I want to say. The big thing I want to go over real quick is there's three players that I'm thinking about that are like uh, high-reward, low-risk kind of guys. Two of them are injured. So thinking, I'm curious to hear what you guys have. You're taking this. One guy is obviously the Simmons guy from Mississippi. From Is it Mississippi State? Yes. Okay. Curious to see what you guys think about maybe taking a, a risk on him, maybe like a fourth pick, fourth-round pick, or fifth-round pick. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to stop you right quick. Simmons ain't getting out of the first half of the second round. I would be shocked. Okay, okay. That's shocked fair. if that's he's there fair. that long. Yep. That's fair because he's hurt. Right. Another thing also is Jalen Ferguson, the Louisiana Tech guy. I know he didn't have a great combine and stuff like that, but neither did uh, the quarterback from uh, North Carolina State that went to Minnesota. He didn't have a great combine, and he's a decent player. Um, also, my last guy, and this is a, a shot in the dark. He was projected to be a really good running back, but maybe 
to have like a one-two punch like Alvin Kamara and um, Ingram did in New Orleans is Bryce Love. Nobody's talking about him. I know he tore his ACL, but if we can get him like in the fourth or maybe fifth round and, and he can come back well, that's a good player. All right, guys, I appreciate it. I'm curious to see what the LSU guy is going to say about Devin White. And uh, thanks for taking my call, fellas. Thank, Thank you. Well, and, Have a great day. And we can tease that interview accurately since we recorded it earlier in the day. And it is interesting what he says about Devin White. But what did he say? You're going to have to stay tuned and find out. You know, John, uh, he mentions Ferguson. and <sighs> He scares the hell out of me, Paul. You know, I'm not he, going to lie. Here's the thing. Uh, I, I, I project him as a 4-3 defensive end. Okay, that's first, which doesn't necessarily fit the Giants' scheme yeah, the way they're, they're trying to run you it. You put them there in pass rush situations. But, fine. but here's, the, here's the other problem, okay? For a guy who has put up some numbers and so forth and so on, he has a lot of inconsistencies in his game. And more than some numbers, by the way, historic numbers. Yes, I get it. Yep. But he still has inconsistencies, and that should not, that should not equate. You should not be able to say inconsistent – with historic numbers in the same sentence. Here's my beef. That's puzzling. It is. And and here's my beef. What do you immediately think? You see big-time production at a smaller program in a smaller conference, right? So your immediate reaction is, oh, he's just eating up kids that aren't as, aren't as good as he is, right? He's going against worse competition. So what you want to see from a kid like that when he shows up in Indianapolis and he goes to his pro day, that he shows that his athletic testing is in line with – it doesn't have to be fantastic, but at least in line with other good players – Right. At that position, right? Right. His, athletic, his athletic testing was historically bad when it comes to the three-cone drill. And when it comes to evaluating pass rushers, the three-cone drill is the most predictive of all the drills. It was terrible. Epically terrible. And that makes me really, really nervous. I would not take him with the Giants' second-round pick. Maybe they would. Um, but third-round pick, if he's still there, I'd take him. I don't. I don't think I would take him at the top of the second. I round. was just going to say third round. You probably are okay with taking the gamble on him. Sure. But as we discussed earlier, and and we've said on some other shows, and I'm a big stickler for this. The higher you are in the draft, the more boxes you have to check, and the fewer question marks you're allowed to have on your mm -hmm. sheet. Well, Ferguson has some questions, and he's got some unchecked boxes, which means you can't really be looking at him high in the second round. One other unchecked box, at least for me when it comes to him too, Paul, he didn't do anything at the Senior Bowl. You know, that's a time for a guy from a smaller school to show up and play really well against better competition. Yeah, yeah they, they it didn't happen. They turned the light on you, and you better show up. And he was fine. He wasn't bad, but eh. Yeah, yeah, but... Again, if suddenly he's there at the end of the third round and you want to take a yeah. shot at him, okay. A but guy I'll tell you with, what. A guy with that sheet may be worth the gamble. And he ain't going to be there, though. He's, he's probably not. Pass rushers are so he's valuable. He's probably not going to be there. If he is not a second-round pick, I'd be very, very surprised. I just wouldn't want to be the team to pick him. Question is, how high in the second round will he be? But That's I agree question. with you. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's going to be there in the third round either. Yeah, I, I think he's probably a guy that will go somewhere between 50 and 60. 50 and 65, 45 and 60, something like that. Yeah. Now, let me just say this to, to the caller. Uh, I, what was his name a second ago? Uh, boy. Jose. Jose. Jose, here's, here's why I'm with you on taking two defensive. You know, I, I guess I could take a cover corner at 17, but I'd kind of still like to get another rusher if I could. I, I, like, I like the cornerback fit better in the second round than I do at 17. You know, my, my issue is right now, if you look at the Giants' depth chart, you got Hill, Tomlinson, and Pierre, who are tentatively slotted as your starting front three. 
Okay. Your backers would be Martin, Ogletree, Goodson, and Carter. McIntosh could be in that okay. too, by the way. Again, this is just the yep. tentative starters you. going into into the draft. There's not there's not a lot of quarterback pressures or sacks amongst right. those names. Correct. Okay? So if you think just one pass rusher who could maybe get ten sacks as a rookie is enough to make a difference or a dent in what you need in the front seven, you're sadly mistaken. Yeah. You're going to need another one. I mean, I think they hope Marcus Golden probably helps in that regard, but I I would surprise me if two edge rushers were not added to this team in the draft. You know, coming off his recent history, you can't count on that. No, you can't. So, and, I, and I would imagine if you do, you'd have two in the first four rounds. So, yeah, I, I, I'd have – look, if they think that they can get two guys who can get after the quarterback at 6 and 17, I would not object to that at all. I would be fine with that too. Okay. 201-939-4513. Uh, we're going to have to go through the next callers pretty quick. We're only got about seven minutes or so until we get to our next interview. So let's do it. Just make your big point, guys, and then you can always call back and we can do another one. Let's go to Mike in Oakland first. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. Thanks Hi. for the opportunity. I'll try to be quick. That's okay. Um so, you know, I'm fired up for the draft, and I would I would be cool with, um, you know, two offensive players in the first round or maybe a, a edge rusher and a right tackle. I'd love to get another tackle. But sure. with all the conversation about that, you know, and, and whether or not we should pick a quarterback, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about Eli, as there always is. I just wanted to make a point, um, which is that uh, when people talk about, um, you know, what Eli Manning can do, what you know about him, which you don't know about most quarterbacks in the NFL, and I'm talking about starting quarterbacks as well as draft prospects, is if you put a decent team around him, he can win you a Super Bowl. And, in fact, he's proven it um, twice. And so when when I talk to people about that, I hear people say, and I've read comments that say, oh, well, the defense won those Super Bowls. So i got to make this point. The average NFL defensive rank for a Super Bowl champion is 6.8. So that's about 7, right? The Patriots are the gold standard in this day and age with, uh, you know, free agency and, and the uh, NFL draft is um, uh, 4.2 in all the ones they won. So, you know, Tom Brady's playing with generally great defenses, sure. and he never went top 10 defense. So Eli's two defenses, 2011, 25th-ranked defense, 2007, 17th-ranked defense. So I just want to say, like, you know we can win them. And if you're going to compare him against the gold standard, Eli's done it with way worse defenses behind him than Brady. Thank you, Mike. Not better. Appreciate the call. Uh, I will say this, and, and Mike, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, the, um, the 2007 defense was much better than 17th. By the end of the year, they were a top-five level defense, and you saw it in 2008 when they were a top-five defense. In 2011, Eli Manning won that Super Bowl. He got them there. It was all about the offense and the passing game. And he was, had one of the best quarterback seasons I've ever seen in 2011. Now, I think it's also fair to say he's not the same quarterback in 2019 that he was in 2011. Mm-hmm. It's a long time between now and then. Sure. And that's all I'll add to what he said. That's it. Next caller? You good, Paul? Yeah. Okay. Charlie in Portland, Maine. Charlie! Hey, guys. Hi, What's Charlie. Up? Hey, I got three things. I'll do it quick. One thing is that well, I guess we're going to trade Shepard because we just signed him, so that looks like that's going to happen. You're an idiot. <laughs> Char- Char- Charlie, first, first of all, first of all, just to clarify, he has not signed anything yet. I, I know, I know I they're know. hoping to close in on it. I, I get it. But it isn't officially signed yet, just so you yeah. know. 
And how come we, you know, there's been over 30 uh, Lions football players signed, and we haven't signed one of them yet. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Charlie. They signed need, a corner this morning, you Charlie. You need to pay oh, attention. Did? Oh, yes, I didn't see that. we did. And they I signed will, a corner. And I will give you the details on that right now, Charlie, as I try yeah, to scroll okay. through my timeline and, and tell you a little about the player. Um, but the Giants. Will Hill, right? I'm sorry? <laughs> will Hill? No, it was not Will Hill. The Giants <laughs> signed defensive back Henry Tolliver who played um, in the AAF this year and spent some time with the Indianapolis Colts beforehand. So they did sign a defensive back from the AAF. So hopefully that makes you very happy. And, and just does. just to be aware, he is a six-foot corner. Came in at 188 pounds when he was at the Combine. Although, how old is he? Uh, how or, old is he? Or let me ask you, what year was he at the Combine? Let me ask you that question. Uh, the page that I just called up does not have his age or say the year. But but I can tell you he was out of Arkansas, six feet, hundred and eighty eight pounds. The bad news was his forty yard dash was four six three, which is a tad slow. But uh, he was uh, he was graded at the time as someone who who was a a possible make it grade out of camp. There you go. Hey, He's I, I got one more thing, and and we'll call it good. Um, they should extend Eli, and this is my reasons for that. Um, because it will really help us on the money that we have now. And next year, we're going to have anywhere between seventy-five and $100,000 under the cap by you know, different people saying what we should have. And even if you give Eli a $10,000,000, you know, million I mean million dollars, if you give him a $10 million goodbye gift, if we decide not to keep him in two twenty, I think that would be more than fine, and that would be the only basically no, dead money Charlie, that we'd have. Yeah, but Charlie, here's my question for you, though, and, sure. and, and thanks for the call. I appreciate it. To me, it, yep. it, it just doesn't make sense when the free agent frenzy this year is over. You're not tr you don't need to create more cap space this year. Why would you extend him now, which would lower the cap hit this year, Rather than just work on a year-to-year -year basis, if you're not, if you don't need the cap money this year, why would you do an extension now? If you want to do it back in February to free up cap space for this offseason, I get it. That makes sense. Cool, but I don't see the the point in doing it now. Well, unless something happens where somebody pops free and all of a sudden they well, need money. Right. If they need the cap space, I get it, but you just don't do it no, to no, do I, it. No, I, I understand that. I, again, I, as I've said all along, I would not rule yeah. out the possibility that Eli gets an extension for 2020. I've Correct. actually said that since last season. Yeah. But again, you were talking about it because it helps the cap situation. It helps the cap situation, right. and I also believe physically he's capable of handling it. At least he is today. And John Marrett did say at the owners' meetings that I think they're looking at the quarterback position on year-to-year -year basis. That's Correct. basically what he said. Correct. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, he's still got a full 19 season to get through, and right. by the way, if he mm -hmm. gets sacked another 40-something times, maybe he physically won't be capable of coming back for another yeah, year. And he's not a guy that if he hits free agency, you're worried about him flying the coop if the Giants want him to stay. If it's something, he'll stay if the Giants want him and he wants to be here. So. He's got to be physically capable. That's right. all there is to it. Final call of the show is Len in Columbia, Maryland. Hello, Len. And Hi, Len. Always an honor to follow uh, and a privilege to follow Charlie. So here I am. Well, anybody <laughs> that follows Charlie automatically looks really good, so I don't blame you. <laughs> I'd be honored, too. Okay, hey, a couple of quick questions on the draft. But let me, let me just say on that young man that they just signed today, that cornerback that you were talking to Charlie, you know, it brings up something in my mind here. There's, there's always a reason why these guys haven't been on a 53 and a running – uh, four six three forty is a good reason for a quarterback not to have been on a roster. That's um, 
that's that is trouble. So I don't know. That's that that's really slow for a cornerback. All right, let me ask you a question about the draft, um, quick, and I can take these off the air if sure. you want. Um, how how unrealistic? Given, given what what how what Paul summed up the front three earlier in your show today, how how there 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 are a lot of holes, not just in the front three, but around the roster. How unrealistic is it to think? If we don't draft a quarterback and we count Beal, that we come away, counting Beal, we come away with five day one starters. I think you're asking a lot for five day one starters. With this roster, John? It's very rare that fourth and fifth round picks come in and start in day one in this league. It's well, funny. Well, you don't have to go past 95 to, to get the five yeah, if it, you it, count Beal. You know, well, if Len, you Beal, all right, yeah, I mean, it's possible. Len, here, here's, here, I don't consider starters starters anymore because the game is different. With all the sub-packages well, sure. and the number sure of snaps that's, a guy plays. A... What I have said, and it's funny, before you got to the lunch table yesterday, John, I was telling the guys at the table, the Giants need to come away with four solid defensive contributors out of this rookie class. And I'm counting Beal as one of them. All right, I'll buy that. So yeah. that means he's got to come up with three in the first four rounds of the draft. I don't think that's a stretch. No, I think that's because fair. Because he did it last year. You know, he came, well, yeah, he came, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, well, Barkley you know, was on offense, so the, I take that back. You know, but the last half of the Hill season, Carter, Carter was a terrific player. You know, he really came along. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's a reach to say he's got to get three immediate guys who can play significant snaps on defense, and Beal would be the fourth. I don't think that's a reach. Okay, let me let me say one other thing. I'm I'm going to keep my fingers crossed, and I'm going to hope that it that it turns out to, you know it turns out to be five. Let me let me ask you a question about Beal, and I don't know if you can answer this now or if we need to wait next, until next week when these guys report and they get you know official Monday weights for the year. They and come so in forth. Monday. Does it appear that Beal has put any weight on? I don't know yet. I haven't seen him around. And, okay. And, and Len, thanks for the call. He is somebody sure, that sure. that Absolutely. that. Thank you. No, thank you. That he is slender, and it's something to keep an eye on. But I've not. Uh, seen him here yet, so I, I can't speak to that. We'll know more on Monday when they show up for the first yeah, time. Yeah, when they left at the end of the season, that's the last time we've seen him. I will say this, though, uh, you know, he's long, he's lean. Um, how much weight would you want him to put on? That might hurt his flexibility, athleticism, and speed. Uh, to me, he's a really good cover corner. I don't know that I necessarily want him to get much heavier. No, absolutely. All right, I promised a request line. Here it comes. All right, so we had two requests for wide receivers in a comparison, Paul. You had David Sills from West Virginia, who's kind of a big, to me, possession receiver. He does get some separation over the top. He catches some jump balls. And our tweeter, and I'm trying to find the name of it. I'll try to get that name for you and give you the shout-out. He wants us to compare him to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford. I like Whiteside better. I think he's more sudden and quicker coming out of his breaks. I think he has better hands, and I think he's actually a better post-up player than Sills is. Um, and I just think he's a better all-around wide receiver, while Sills is more of your possession type that can get behind you um, on the defensive side, but I'm not sure he can do it at the pro level with his uh, raw running speed. So I think J.J. Arcega Whiteside out of Stanford was 6'3", 225. I take him over the 6'3", 211 a pound. David Sills. I think Whiteside is a late round two player. I mm-hmm. think David Sills is a round four player. I was just going to say the same thing, two and four. And we did not discuss that at all, by we the way. Did before, no, we did this not discuss this at all. Not at all. Uh, I don't think there's any question that Whiteside is a, a much higher rated prospect. I like him. Now, at the same token. He'd be a good fit here, Paul. 
And I don't think Sills is necessarily a bad fit here either. No. But, again, we're talking third day. and For Sills. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, for me, it comes down to fit and value. Uh, there's no doubt as to which player carries more value. Right. But where you pick him, you know, someone might actually get a, quote, steal in Sills. I don't think you're getting a steal in Whiteside. He's going yes. to go where he's probably rated. I agree. He's so good in the red zone. He played a little bit of the slot. He played outside primarily. I think he's a deceptive route runner. Good run. He does not good run after the catch, but that's fine. Uh, David Sills did have some drops. Um, doesn't get great separation. Not really sudden or shifty. Okay, route runner. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think I could rationalize picking Whiteside with the Giants' second-round pick, and I do not believe he'll be there with the third-round pick. So I'm not sure they're going to have the opportunity to pick him where it makes sense, but I think they might have the opportunity to pick Sills somewhere in round four, round five, depending on on when he's available when the Giants select. To clean that up just a tad, I'd be shocked if the Giants take a receiver in any of the first three rounds. To me, I'm not even thinking about a receiver till I get to the third day, and even then, I'm not so sure what round I'm going to do it in. It might not even be to the fifth or sixth round, John, to be perfectly frank with you. They've got a lot of other needs, and there's a lot more value, I think, at some of these other spots where they really got to fill spots. I don't think there's much difference between the wide receiver you're getting in round two and the wide receiver you're getting early in the fourth round. Certainly. I think they're similar. And, and I don't think there's a lot of difference between the guys in rounds three to five or maybe even six. I think there's a drop-off in Not round a ton. around 100 or 120. And then let's let's not forget this. You'll get more undrafted rookie free agent wide receivers who make rosters than any other position in the league. It's it's actually one of the more it's one of the tougher positions to actually figure out how they're going to transfer from college to the pro. So while you might have more busts, you might have some more guys too where teams might not know how they're going to do, so they don't pick them into the way. All of a sudden, you get Victor Cruz the second walking on to to the field at training camp. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes, and now it's time for our next guest. We're joined by Gordy Rush. He covers LSU, a former defensive back, and he's their sideline reporter. Gordy Rush, you got John Schmelk and Paul Dottino here at the Giants facility in East Rutherford, New Jersey. How you doing today? I'm doing all right. I, you know, I'm worried about you guys. I mean, y'all trading away LSU players. OBJ's gone. There's maybe some uh, LSU guys potentially going to the Giants. Yeah, and you had Ruben Randall out the door a few years ago, too. So you're right about that. But there is an opportunity for at least one LSU player, maybe two, who knows, to go to the Giants in the first round. And I guess we'll start there. And, I've, you know, I'd love to get your take on Devin White because – in person, you look at him, and he looks like an NFL linebacker. You know, you got a lot of these other guys, and like a Devin Bush who looks like a safety, right, but he's playing linebacker. Devin White looks like an NFL linebacker, and he plays like an NFL linebacker with all his traits, size, speed, and things like that. Gordy, when you watch him during games on film, what are some of his greatest strengths, and why do you think his game will translate well to the NFL? So let's start on the field. So to understand Devin White, you've got to understand he went to a small high school in uh, Spring, uh, Spring Hill, Louisiana, up on the Arkansas border. He played both ways in high school. He was a running back at that size, 225 pounds. Wow. And, and so you have that sort of elite athletic ability. Um, his side-to-side movement and his uh, you know, closing speed for a middle linebacker is incredible. 
he's instinctive. He's fundamentally sound. He's been taught by one of the best defensive coordinators in college football, and Dave Aranda. And uh, and then the intellect that he brings to the field uh, is it was incredible. Dave Aranda is known for you know at Wisconsin and his stops being pretty fundamentally sound. He's run basically three to four defenses. He did his first year at LSU, probably got it up to six. Last year, put the full package in, similar to what he did at Wisconsin, ran 40 different sets, and that's because of Devin wow. White's ability to get him lined up and get the matchups, uh, the matchups that Dave Aranda wanted. So off the charts, he's a three-down linebacker. He's great in pass coverage. Obviously, you've seen his 40 speed. Off the field, he's even better. He is the leader. Uh, didn't have to play in that bowl game against Central Florida. Didn't want to end that way and decided to go play and basically had two huge plays that, that really opened up that game for LSU. Uh, he's a top-five pick in my book, no doubt. Gordy, i, I got to ask you about something. I want to backtrack just a moment. You mentioned coverage. We, we had a longtime former Super Bowl scout at the Combine who was an LSU alum who absolutely adores the Tigers and keeps track of all their guys nonstop. Brian Broaddus, you might know him. Okay, he told us flat out, Devin White is a two-down linebacker in the pros because his coverage skills, his ability to turn and backpedal, and to be able to cover somebody downfield in the NFL is a huge question mark, and he did not see him as a three-down backer. Uh, I'm curious as to, are you are you more making a projection as to him being a three-down backer in the pros, or is it something that you really physically see and believe in? So we're talking about Brian Broaddus, correct? Yes. Right. Is that right with the Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, I know yeah. BQ. Um, here's, here's what I think Brian doesn't see, is that White at this time, Kevion, uh, Caleb and Chasson, rather, was our edge rusher. Uh, first, he's going to be a name you'll hear from. Uh, he was a redshirt freshman. And, uh, excuse me, a second-year player, Blues knee on the opening game against Miami. LSU struggled to get pass, uh, struggled to get um, pass rush. Because of that, White more times than night was, was the blitzer. And, and so what Dave Aranda did, he was going to find out who your weakest guy was and send his best guy. problem is LSU had no edge players. And, and so they wound up getting a safety, Jacoby Stevens, a, a strong safety, kicking him down to the edge. And Gavin White was blitzing a whole lot. So in a lot of pass situations, he didn't play coverage. Now, yeah. now BQ's obviously studied more film, uh, Broadus has, uh, than I have in terms of projecting on the next level. But are you talking about a guy 4-4 who's got great lateral quickness? And, and, you know, because of what he was asked to do at LSU, I don't know that there's that big a sample, but I disagree mm -hmm. with him. I don't think he, he, he comes off the field on third down. That's just my opinion. No way, and that's fair enough. And and obviously, the way a player is deployed in college is going to cause a lot of gray area and difficulties in making a projection once he gets to the NFL. So it's it's certainly a fair debate. I don't think there's any question. Yeah, because Gordy, I'm with you. When oh, I, you know, you, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Gordy, go ahead. No, I'm, I mean, I'm, 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 guy, guys runs four four. If you watch him sideline to sideline, he has all the quickness. He, he just hasn't been asked to do it. And and yeah. you know, I go back and go go look at some of the. You know some of the some of the plays that he made in space. You know, in terms of interceptions and sort of in terms of stripping the people. You know, stripping the football from people that catch the balls. I just again my, my thoughts and, and, and you know I, I've been reviewing his film. 
my thoughts, he hasn't been asked to do it. And, you know, and I think we'll get to a little bit later for you guys, Foster Morrow's a tight end of the sleeper on right. the board. We'll talk about yeah. the same sort of thing. You know, it's Gordy, it's funny, and I probably watched around six or seven games of White this year, and I'm waiting, I'm looking at the tape, I'm looking at the tape, I'm like, they just don't ask him to cover anybody. So I understand why why somebody would say, well, I'm not sure if he can cover. Well, yeah, I'm not sure either because they right. haven't asked him to do it. But if you look at his traits and the way he can change direction yeah. and the way he can run, I'm with you. I think you can project that if he gets coached right and he gets put in the situation, he can do it. But it is a projection. But the one thing I do love what well, he so let me, let me, Yeah, let me, go ahead. Let me add also a quick thing. Dave Miranda loved to play nickel and dime. You saw a lot of four wide receiver sets. Sure. And so we have two strong safeties, Grant Delta, you hear about next year, and then Jacoby Stevens, who's, I think, two two years away. Actually, he's a year away, too, possibly coming out. These guys are, are top first two-day talent. Delta's a first-rounder. Yeah. And so when you put six of those guys on the field, how much coverage did you really <laughs> want Devin White to do? I mean, it's right. DBU for a reason. They're locking down. They got nickels and dimes and corners galore. All he was, he was the guy. He stayed on the field and got everybody lined up. More times than not, he was, he was coming. My, my, my final one for you on White, and I'll make it a two-part question. One thing that I really like that he does and one thing that maybe I think he can get a little bit better at. The one thing I love that what he does, because I think you don't see linebackers doing much anymore, he embraces getting blocked by an offensive lineman and being able to separate from him. You know, some of these guys run away from the pulling guard and stuff like that. He'll engage him and separate and still make a play. The one thing I think maybe he could do a little bit better, Gordy, and I'd like to get your take on both of them, is I think his sideline-to-sideline speed is so good, and he's so aggressive and so excited to make the tackle. I feel like sometimes he can get almost a little bit out in front of himself and lose a little bit of control yeah. and, and maybe overrun plays sometimes. What do you think about those two things? Yeah, that's some of it. You know, I mean, uh, there's no question. And, and being able to break down and, and over-pursuing, but he's gonna he's got that motor he's going to play with. And I, I think that's a, a good observation. You know, on, on the other side, guys, y'all need to go put on the, uh, with the Citrus Bowl from two years ago when they played Notre Dame. Go look at the tight shots of he and Nelson and who was the other kid, McClinchy, the two guys right. on mm-hmm. right. Notre Dame. You talk about a war, and look, both of them gave some licks and took some licks. There's no doubt he's going to engage. I mean, he, he's a physical football player. Let me ask you about Greedy Williams because the upside yeah. on him is through the roof. I mean, a corner who's got that kind of athleticism as well as length and height, I mean, there is so much you could see this guy doing once he gets to the NFL. Could you talk a bit about his development and what is he going to have to polish up as he tries to get into the pros? So, a two-star corner, right, that, that came out of two-star recruit, rather, and came out oh, wow. of North Louisiana up in Shreveport. Um, long, really athletic. Um, what, I, what I'll tell you about him, his coverage skills – were are, are lights out in terms of his instincts, and he's just got that length that you wanted to put out there on the edge with those big receivers nowadays. Um, I, I wasn't. I think he's okay in zone. I think he's better in man. And you know, and a lot of the scouts you want to know about his desire to come and, and lay a lick. And, and you know, he's not a above average tackler, so. I think it depends what your, your scheme is. You know, do you, mm-hmm. you, what, what are you going to do? How much zone are you going to play? Is he capable of playing zone? Yeah. Does he have these good instincts in zone? He does. Where he excels at is man-to-man coverage. He's just really, really smooth. He's got good instincts, and he's got good ball skills. 
Yeah, Gordy, I, I saw exactly what you saw on tape. And, and I think the one thing I want to kind of get a little deeper in is the physicality of the position. Because you're right, he mirrors in coverage great. Uh, at the line of scrimmage, it's weird. He plays press, but I don't, I don't really see him get his hands on the guy at the line of scrimmage is, as, as much as I think he should yeah. playing that press. And then the tackling part of it. Uh, he reminded me a lot of when the Giants had Dominic Rogers Camardi here in, in his final couple years. And I yeah. understand if, like, a 32, 33-year-old, right? You don't want to go and, you know, try to blow people up in the running game. But I saw him going for ankles a lot, you know, kind of ducking his head and, and diving at legs. But then other people have told me in 2017 he was a better tackler than he was in 2018. Do you think that's true? Yeah, back half of 2018, you know, he, he, he uh, yeah, if I had a better half of, front half of, of the 18 than he did. And, and yeah, and, and so there's been that talk, and obviously he, he elected not to play in the bowl game. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that he has a little bit more capability that he showed in 2018, but he's not, he's not an elite tackler by, by any means of it. In terms of press coverage, um, you know, I teach a, everybody teaches a little bit different style, right? And, mm -hmm. and so Corey Raymond, who I played with as a DB coach at LSU, Likes more of just one stiff hand in bail and getting out of there. And, and so does he need to be a little bit more physical? Potentially. You know, I think it's what, what are the Giants going to teach if they wind up landing him. You know, I, I don't, um, you know, I, I, I don't understand. I've heard a lot that he's sliding a little bit. Uh, you know, big, big tall corners are tough to come by uh, in the league. You know, I think it's, it's about a fit. I realize there's a strong defensive line class, and obviously people are going to play the quarterbacks and, things of that nature, but he's a first-round talent in my mind. He, he flies the second, he flies the second. Yeah, I would say he's definitely someone that the Giants would think about at 17 when they get their second first-round pick. We'll see if they go in that direction. You mentioned Gordy at the beginning when he came in. He was a two-star recruit, so I'm kind of curious. What was the, the impetus for him to becoming such a legit prospect now over the course of those years? Because there must have been something that, that kind of sparked him, that made him suddenly become what a great prospect he now is. He was a late bloomer. He came from Calvary Baptist. Ironically, that's where Doug Peterson was uh, high school up in Shreveport. And it was uh, played both sides of the football, smaller classification. And so I think a lot of people struggled to peg, you know, where, where he was going to play. And, and, uh, and they, they, they run that, you know, wide-open uh, you know, wide open uh, IRA type offense, and, and so it's hard really to get a read on him. And um, a lot of people kind of missed LSU went up there and, and, and uh, had some some folks that had played up there. Jacob Hester, the former uh, NFL running back, his brother was on staff, and, and they, they felt like Corey Raymond felt like he got you know found a, a diamond in the rough. And when for his first day on campus, uh, in terms of his man to man skills, he just he took off and and. Mm. Um, you know, it was just one of those things that because he didn't play big ball, kind of got passed over by some people. But as soon as he stepped on campus, he made an impact. I'm going to jump to Forster Moreau very quickly here, go back to the offensive uh, yeah. side of the ball. And look, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Gordy LSU is not exactly known as a <laughs> high-flying passing program where you're going to chuck it up 40 times a game. Uh, but he's 6'4", he's 250. We know he can block on the run game. And you looked at his numbers at the Combine, and you say, oh, maybe the way LSU plays is hiding some of that ability as a wide receiver. How do you see him uh, as a receiver if he's giving more of an opportunity to run some routes and catch the football? So let me tell you the book on Moro, because I think he's one of the best-kept secrets in this draft. 
uh, he went to my high school, and so actually, um, I, you know, I, I knew the parents and what have you. But um, LSU, they signed him. They offered him on National Signing Day. He was after somebody told him no. He waited. He was their last selection. Cam Cameron, who was offensive coordinator, went down there with Frank Wilson, the recruiter, to go see him play basketball. He was an all-city basketball player. And Cam Cameron, they fell in love with him. And the first thing that came out of Cam Cameron's mouth was Taki. And to understand Foster Morrow, he's a much better athlete than the way he was utilized at LSU. problem with LSU, especially this year, they had two new offensive tackles. Uh, Their quarterbacks were beat up. And with Jerry Sullivan, the former NFL assistant, was there as a passing game coordinator. They ran a lot of pro-style stuff. And, and so they were in max protect a ton. It wasn't until the last three games in which uh, they were struggling with uh, to, in the past game to, to run some more RPOs and do some things that Joe Burrow, the, the LSU quarterback, did at Ohio State. In the last three games, Rice, Texas A&M, and Central Florida, if you go look at the stats for that, they threw the ball to Morrow. Morrow is more than capable uh, of being an every-down NFL tight end. You're going to flex him out in the NFL, and one of those things I think every once in a while. But he's a much better pass receiver and a much better athlete than what he showed at LSU simply because he didn't have the opportunity to do so. My favorite tape, I'll go back because, I, you know, the, the NFL Network and when they run all that stuff, they showed Miles Garrett from two years ago uh, his highlight, and they showed the one highlight that he actually made a play <laughs> at, at LSU Texas A&M. When I tell you that Foster Morrow, as a sophomore, kicked Miles Garrett's ass up and down Kyle Field, uh, up and down Kyle Field was remarkable. What I year mean, was that? He, you said he's like, a grinder. 40? He's a kid that plays with a chip. He would fit the New York Giants. I mean, like a glove. I mean, he, he's a, and he's a, he's a better athlete. What year, Gordy, was that matchup? I want to go back and watch that tape now. So two, this, so we played them 2000, let's see, 18, so that would be 2016 game. I'll have to make Edward sure I check Drum, it out. It was the interim. It was a 54-39 to 39 game that LSU won down there. Ed's last interim. And Miles, Miles, Garrett, Miles, Garrett was, was, <laughs> Miles Garrett was waiting for the NFL draft. I just laughed. <laughs> of course, the NFL Network showed one play. I, I sat there. He was talking smack to Miles Garrett. They were kicking his butt. Miles Garrett didn't want to play in that football game. <laughs> That's one heck of an endorsement. Uh, I, I, Gordy, I, I don't know that you could say anything else that would make us have a better picture of what this guy is all about. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, though, the, the one thing about tight ends, they, they seem to have gone in ebbs and waves because we had – the guys who were all around years ago. Then we had the receiving guys. Now it sounds to me like as we were preparing for this draft, there were some more physical guys, more run blockers than I seem to remember over the last five or six years coming yeah. out in this draft. I happen to love that because I'm an old school guy, and I want my tight ends to be able to chew nails. Um, I'm, I'm curious, what what is your perspective as a guy who played college ball and, and knows very much about the mentality of, of what the different positions are. Why, why do you think that is all of a sudden? Yeah, I think a lot more people are running 11 personnel, and a lot of these spread people realize they got to run the football. Yeah. I don't know what it was. I saw some program out here. Holgerson was on with Gundy and, and uh, Dazio from Boston College. And, and even you know even guys like Holgerson realized at some point we got we got to run the ball, and having that H-back fight in that fits into their offense, 
is a little bit different fit than what uh, you know than what the tight ends were, were the, the pass catching types. So I think you see them looking for more of those hybrids, and, and Foster Morrow truly is that type of hybrid. He would he could have fit in that. You know, LSU just was still, and, and LSU is switched offenses. They took Joe Brady, uh, Sean Payton's assistant, and so they're running the Saints offense now. So we we won't see. Hopefully we'll see some decent numbers out of the LSU offensively. But going going back to, to that, Foster could have easily played for a West Virginia or a Mike Gundy and that sort of 11 personnel mm. and as a, you know, on a wing or something like that. They just asked him to be a grinder more times than not, and he had to stay in pass protect because the right tackle was struggling this year. Uh, Gordy, can you give me a little thumbnail on, on the other three position prospects that are coming at LSU? you got Nick Brissett, Ed Alexander, and John Battle. So I think Battle's a good center fielder. Um, his 40s haven't have impressed. He's a smart football player. Um, he is somebody, if you're going to play a lot of zone concepts, you do not want to put him in man coverage. I think he's got some limitations. He's a good special teams player, but I think it's got to be the right fit for him to, to go. Um, Ed Alexander um, has never reached, I think, his potential at, at LSU. He, he's a big body that, that can play in a 3-4 or a 4-3. I think he adds depth. Uh, uh, Brosette has unbelievable character, right? And um, was a one-year starter at LSU, obviously, because he was behind Fournette. And Geis stuck it out, had a 1,000-yard season. Um, great, you know, smart kid, great in pass, uh, pass protection. It uh, doesn't have necessarily break breakaway speed. I mean, he runs four high four six here at LSU during pro day. I, I know he what, what you know he doesn't have elite speed is what I'm getting at. So I think these guys are third day selections mm-hmm. or a potential free agency. Um, you know uh, of the group. Uh, you know if you ask me that that one would stick, I think Alexander could give you reps or, or could stick as a as a backup type of uh, you know a backup type of defensive lineman. Final question for me, Gordy, before we let you go. Non-LSU player from the conference that you were able to watch this yep. year who's going into the draft, who would your favorite guy be? Oh, Quinton Williams. God bless from Alabama. <laughs> man, no right? surprise, right? Oh, geez. <laughs> Thank God. That, that kid is, uh, I mean, that kid is, is really special. I'd go around the conference, man. Sternberger, I thought, was really impressive with the way A&M used it. Somebody... You know, that's looking for a, a pass happy tight end. Uh, he's not much in line, but um, I, I thought he was one. But I mean, for me, Williams absolutely, absolutely jumped off the uh, off the off the court, uh, off the charts. And then I'd say uh, Irv Smith Jr. too as well. He's a, he's another tight end. That, again, okay in line. He's not as good as Moro in line, but he's a fantastic pass receiver. Gordy. We really appreciate the time this morning. Have a safe flight, and we'll talk to you next year as we get ready for another NFL draft, all right? Thank you, Gordy. Okay, guys, take care. That's Gordy Rush, sideline reporter, former defensive back for LSU. So what's your thing on Devin White after hearing from Gordy? Gordy played the game, okay? And by Um, the way, he was honest with strengths and weaknesses for all those guys. Yeah, so um, I get the fact that he believes he'll be able to do it at the NFL level. The, the problem that I have is that Brian, as a longtime scout, is more responsible for the projections. Correct. And, That's fair. And, and the projection itself, it's gray area, 
But it's a talent, and it does take a lot of experience to be able to make the projection. And it is more about just speed and athleticism to be a good coverage player. It is. Right. It is. It's about recognition. Yep. Uh, it, it's about being able to adapt to the play as it's happening. Body control, things like uh, that. There really mm -hmm. is. So so I appreciate Gordy's sentiments. I'm, I, I absolutely appreciate his eyewitness account of what the player's skill set is. The projection is where I'm still getting a little bit lost. And he did admit that it's a projection, that they didn't ask him to do it much. And I'll tell you, I, I was honest with him. I went back and I watched a lot of Devin White trying to find, because I thought the stuff that Broadus told us at the Senior Bowl is really interesting. And I'm like, oh, I want to go see this for myself. There's just not a lot of coverage there. They don't ask him to do it. So and here's it the is, problem. It, it is projection then. Here's the problem. When you're drafting a guy, top five, top 10, and you have a big empty box that says projection because we're not sure, right. that tends to drop the guy some because if you're picking them that high, the boxes have to have checks in them right down the board. You can't have an empty box that says we don't know. And you know going into this interview, by the way, that I was a Foster Moreau guy? I like him even more now. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Day three, sign me up. <laughs> Good stuff, Paul. All right, John. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. Thank you to our two guests. You just heard from Gordy Rush, who covers LSU. And thank you also to Harry Harrison, who covers Ole Miss. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Adios.